This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Threshold, Episodes 1 and 2. Some of you may not know what a contingency analyst does. I deal in worst-case scenarios, the unthinkable, and this definitely qualifies. Now, Threshold was designed as a rapid response measure to a first contact scenario. Stage one of the plan calls for an immediate quarantine of the landing site or possibly crash site. After the object is effectively secured by a special ops force, the next step calls for the insertion of a red team. Now, their priorities are threefold. Confirm the presence of extraterrestrial life, intelligent or otherwise. Attempt to communicate with it and finally to determine its intent, whether it poses any possible threat. And if it does? You'll find that on page 45 under the chapter heading, What to Do If We're Screwed. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast whose subharmonic frequencies are mutating your theta waves. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? They say subharmonics so many times in this show. This is a real this is a real tech jargon heavy show. Yeah, like they're always saying stuff like, uh, it's a graphic representation of mathematical equation. And you're like, what? Who what? What are you guys <laughs> talking about? It's a lot of like a uh, gobbledygook that doesn't uh doesn't really uh, come into any sort of cohesive whole at all. Classic science fiction. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Hey, one thing, though, real quick. There was a uh, nickname given in this show in one of the two episodes, and I've decided that's going to be your nickname through the run of this show. Did you catch what the one character called the other one? I don't think so. The nickname was, and mind you, this is 2005, so I don't know if it still flies, but the one character called the other character Ricky Retardo. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that up. That doesn't fly. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's your nickname now. We're going to lose a lot of listeners this week. (laughs) Isn't that funny? I realize it's it's, uh, whatever we call it now, 2020, 2020. Ooh, it's only been 15 years. That's a that one hasn't aged well. Yeah, that one. When that one hit the screen, I was just like, oh, man. And I think there's actually a number of elements of this that you're just like, it is funny. It's only 15 years ago. But you can really just see it's like, that didn't age, that didn't age. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the series we're talking about this week is Threshold from 2005. Uh, Jordan, did you know anything about this show before we started watching it this week? You know, it seems like for a lot of these shows, it's the same answer. And no, I had never heard of it. But I'm actually really surprised I have zero memory of this show. Because again, as we said, this was 2005. This is recent history. This is a show that went on for 13 episodes, so it had at least a chunk of a season. I don't remember any of the advertising about it. I don't remember any anybody talking about it. I just, this seemed to have existed in a universe I wasn't part of. How about yourself? Do you remember it at all? I definitely watched the first 15 minutes of this show. Wow. I have no memory of it. I think I was doing something else at the time. Because I remember basically up to like the introduction of all the characters and then that's i don't remember anything after that so i think like i watched 15 minutes of it and it was just like i I don't have time for this well i'll tell you it's a real vote of confidence well you know what i will say not to spoil things i didn't hate these first two episodes i just think when it came out originally i just was just like 
not i was just not looking for a tv show like this so what was happening in 2005 i'm i'm assuming you have a list of things that were happening in 2005 in the time period that this show aired you're not wrong i've got some notable events for you (laughs) great what are they um so it aired on cbs from september 16th 2005 to february 1st 2006 okay here's kind of what was happening in the world Uh, october 12th the second manned chinese spacecraft launched November 22nd, Angela Merkel assumes office as the first female chancellor of Germany. Wow, and look at that. She's still there. Still doing it. Mm-hmm. But she did better than Threshold. <laughs> that's that's right. It was, you know, it was a toss-up. What was going to last 15 years, Merkel or Threshold? I think this next one's, I don't know why, but I feel like this next one's going to be like a big deal for you. November 30th, the first human face transplant. Oh, wow. I remember that. I just feel like that's something that would really, like, piques your interest. I actually remember exactly what that person's face looks like. I think since then, they've had to have, if not at least one more, I think multiple surgeries, too, because I don't think it ever took that first one. I mean, you're not going to nail it with the first one. No, no. And just just go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast. (laughs) Talking about uh, face transplants... I remember reading at this time, and this must be in 2005, that they said that obviously it's someone else's face and they match it as best they can. But over time, because of your own normal mannerisms and and uh, uh, facial expressions that you do, the face should start looking more like you. But I don't know. I think you still always kind of look a little bit like you've had a face transplant. I guess it's a good question. I mean, it's really the bones of your face that do it. And the muscles, yeah. Are they transplanting the bones? No, 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 no. They're just transplanting uh, the skin and, I'm assuming, uh, blood vessels and whatever else. Maybe some cartilage. Eh, you know. A full confession. I am not a doctor. <laughs> shocking. A shocking turn of events. Yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking. I know I speak about it as if I'm an authority, but I have never done a face transplant. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going down my list. I only got two more events for us. Okay. January 15, 2005 or 2006, pardon me. NASA mission Stardust returns with the first dust ever collected from a comet. Oh, huh. Stardust. I don't know. I thought that was a little fun fun fact. You know, that was a big day for uh, uh, NASA. They were just going crazy and they're like, and it wasn't like, it probably wasn't like the top of the headline news and they were like, guys, we have actual dust. (laughs) They work hard for that dust, Jordan. Exactly. it. It was billions of dollars that went into that dust. And finally... January 25th, Disney buys Pixar from Lucasfilm for $7.4 billion. I was going to say it was a good investment. Then I realized they bought Lucasfilm too. So they just bought everything. Should have just waited. Yeah. And and you know what? Movies are better now. Now that we only have one company making everything, aren't the movies just so much better? It's true. And George Lucas is richer than ever. You think he could get a face transplant and get someone that doesn't have that like gullety uh, pelican neck that he has? I mean, I think if you're George Lucas, you look at yourself and you're like, I mean, this is the face that made $10 billion. <laughs> That's true. Who, who am I to make fun of George Lucas? I tell you who I'm not, a doctor. You're not a doctor. <laughs> nope. All right. Should we get into the, our first episode? Yes, let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for episode one, Trees Made of Glass, part one. Yeah, spoiler. The next episode is just part two. Yes, that is the spoiler. There's going to be a part two to this episode. <laughs> 
Worst case scenario expert, Dr. Caffrey, recruits a team of elite and slightly eccentric scientists to determine if an alien civilization has made first contact with the human race. And that uh, slightly truncated summary is courtesy of David Foss. Oh, David Foss. Yeah, he's never done one before. It's a real name. It's not like a Slappy Jim 123 at uh, Kojigo.ca. No, it's a real, a real guy. The real guy. Not like those other robots. <laughs> and he loves Threshold. He loves talking about Threshold, writing about Threshold. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out how many episodes he does. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, this show starts with a bit of a cold open. And it's on like a huge freighter in the North Atlantic Ocean called the MSC Bighorn. Did they ever say what they're doing? I assumed it was a, a fishing boat, but I don't think it was. It was, it was larger than that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a big freighter. And I, I had the same question for you. I'm like, was it a military ship? I never had a clear sense. Yeah, it wasn't clear what it was. We just know that there's a lot of guys there and they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we sort of start with a guy who who's burning a picture of his, it's either his wife or girlfriend. We're not sure because she dumped him. She gave him a, a Dear John letter. And then, and then he sort of walks over to the captain and we see that's kind of how we're going to be introduced to these characters on the boat is this guy walking through the boat. Did you like the episode started off with the uh, sweet chords of Franz Ferdinand's Do You Want To? Um, I hated the music in this show, not because I had anything particularly wrong with any of the band's play, but the painful way in which it was jammed into my ears throughout the show made me hate it quite a bit. You didn't enjoy the transition where the Goo Goo Dolls give a little bit play? I didn't at all. You really do hate when popular music appears in a television show. No, it's not even that. I mean, in general, yes, I would agree with you. It's the way you do it. And I think if you really notice a song, you probably aren't doing it very well unless the ad's the actual point of a scene. It just feels like they're trying to sell records because they own the record company or something. That's just like, it's too painful. And it also dates the show really badly. They absolutely are trying to sell records. You know who needs more records? The Goo Goo Dolls. But you know what? That Franz Ferdinand song, it's a classic. It never gets old. Well... Sure, why not? I'm not going to argue. Sure. <laughs> That's right, Jordan. Don't stand up for your beliefs. <laughs> it's it's not that. I mean, but like, how long can I rag on it, right? I mean, like, it's going to be what the show is, and it's painful, and I just have to grin and bear it through it, you know? <laughs> but yes, um, this crew on this ship, they start to hear a strange sound in the air. These little fractal spiral patterns start appearing on their instruments and their monitors, and like fish in the ocean are swimming in these frac- this like swirly pattern that's going to be like the the I don't know it's like the symbol of this show I guess yeah it sort of looks what would you say almost like a a star that is spinning fast so its spikes are sort of bending I don't is that a good way of you explain know what it? it's like do you remember spiral graphs yeah it's very much like a spiral graph you're right it's kind of like a, like a little fractal spiral graph that's the symbol for this show. Yeah, and you're going to see it a lot, not only in computers, but in everything. At any rate, this basically all this odd stuff draws all the crew out into the deck of the ship. And when they look out next to them floating in the air is this like huge, constantly shifting fractal object that's like a spaceship of some sort. Yeah, it's either a spaceship or a star or um, some light. It's hard to kind of tell what it is. It It's at all times a light pattern and sort of a geometric shape and maybe glass or something, but it's always sort of changing shapes and moving. And it's clearly, uh, 
Not a natural occurring thing anyways. Did you like that ship though? I thought it was interesting looking. Like it's it's I thought it was a pretty good effect for the show. I was like, yeah. oh, I definitely haven't seen this. Cuz I know we're going to feel a little different on the show. It's one of the better things of the show. Yeah, I agree. I think it was I was like this is a good weird thing. I'm like I'm like it's a good hook to bring me in when this cold open and I was like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. We jump forward and we meet our lead, Dr. Molly Ann Caffrey, played by uh Carla Gugino. Yeah. I mean, pretty good casting. She's a good actress. Yeah, and I I feel like she's one of those actresses that's had at least two or three TV series that haven't made it. And I don't think anything due to her. I think it's just one of those things. But she seems to be one of those actresses that is always in the lead of a new show that gets canceled. Fair fair enough. What what do we know about Dr. Caffrey? She's a doctor on like pathogens or something, but her specialty is risk (laughs) risk management or something like that. Am I right? Yeah. She's the uh, senior contingency analyst at the Blackwood Institute in Richmond, Virginia. (laughs) This could become very important what her what her job is, but I don't know if I really understand how that works or why that's an important position to have on like a team. Like I get that. Well, we're going to go through it, but I, I'm confused about it. She basically, for, I guess, for the government makes worst case scenario plans like what if there's a nuclear war? What if the sun explodes? What if yeah. something like catastrophic happens? Here's a series of events we will put into place to deal with said catastrophe. That's kind of what her her sort of like life's work is. And they tease us with a little bit of like she does it because she survived a crisis of her own. But, they, you know, it's one of those like, wait till you find out what it is. They leave that hanging and they also leave that she might have had a difficult relationship with her dad. And you as a viewer are like, oh, man, I can't wait to watch more episodes to find out what this nugget is leading to it's so it's so enthralling did you like how they teased her missing dad by showing her constantly wearing his 1970s digital watch yeah that's right and oh (laughs) one other quick thing we learned really quick about her um not only that she might have a, a tumultuous relationship with her father but there's a couple scenes of her going into her kitchen and opening the fridge and what we see are pre planned meals right and they're labeled and maybe i'm a dumb guy luke did she make these meals or were these meals purchased? I know what they're saying. She's sort of like his prepared and she's uh, someone who's always ready for any scenario. But I was like, has she just spent the weekend making the meals for the week or she bought these? Because they look homemade. It's funny. I actually think they're not saying she's prepared because if you look around her house, all her stuff is still in boxes. Like every time you go to her house, like she, it's like she, just, it's like she just moved in. I think they're trying to imply she's a workaholic and what I took from the prepackaged like food in those like takeout containers in the fridge is I thought she had taken them from various conferences she goes to. She just takes a couple of the lunches <laughs> and brings them home. See, I thought what it was was she's prepared for any scenario. So she's got a whole bunch of meals. And depending on what she's thinking, she's like, I don't have time for lasagna, but don't worry. I made it last Tuesday. And she pulls it out. What about uh, that cute dog of hers? What was her dog? I can't really remember now. I don't know what the breed is, but I I, I like to get a little dog running around. It was a cute dog. Do you think now, <laughs> do you think she pre-plans all his meals too? I, I'm still convinced she's just picking those up at a conference. <laughs> well, well, you know what? These are one of these mysteries I hope the show is going to answer by the end. I mean, I think the essential gist that we're supposed to get is like, she's a workaholic. She has no life. Like, this yeah. is it. All, the only companionship she has is this dog. And she wrote Threshold. 
Well, that's it. Just after uh, one of her presentations on worst case scenarios, she takes her dog for a walk. A helicopter finds her in the dog park, lands, and uh, they get out and they're like, one of your plans have been activated. Oh, that's right. And so they're like, we need you right away. She gets on the helicopter. We cut to them in some sort of secure military base. And what I like is she's with the dog and they're like, you can't bring the dog with you. And I thought two things. One, why did she bring the dog? And two, why didn't anyone tell her that before they got her on the on the helicopter? They couldn't take five minutes to get back home, drop the dog off. Well, that's it. It's their fault. They uh, put her on the play on the helicopter with the dog. I guess. But yes, yeah, she's there. She's there to execute her plan, Threshold. And uh, what I like is when they say the word Threshold, they cut to the uh, title card for the show. That's right. Which is embarrassingly schlocky. Well, it looks like like a fan fiction version of someone trying to do like an incredible hulk logo it's just the word threshold but with glowing green like shooting out from behind it and i just felt bad i just felt like i'm like oh this is going to be like one of the first signs of why this is falling apart because it's embarrassing yeah like there's no it doesn't fit the show it doesn't like it doesn't make any like it just doesn't feel right to the tone of the show i'm going to disagree with you in that like i think about it's as good as the show is (laughs) um who picks her up is a man named Sean Cavanaugh, who's going to be one of our other lead characters. And we don't get to know much about him, but what what do you know, what did you pick up about Sean Cavanaugh? What do we know about his backstory? Well, here's what I can tell you about him. I know what all their titles are, and I, that's what I know. He's a freelance paramilitary operative. That's what he's listed as. Yes, he's he's some sort of off the book spy. I guess he's sort of like a guy that the government calls in if they need something off the books. I guess. He's mostly there to be beefy and handsome. <laughs> yeah, I think so. He's it's it's so funny that you can see it from a mile away. He's handsome. He's kind of rugged. He's going to kind of butt heads with the doctor a little bit. She's also pretty. She's smart. You know it's going to be a love interest and it's just it's just they're just giving it to you right at the beginning. They don't need to do anything other than that, that you just know. You know that's where it's going. This non-character isn't he handsome? They should fall in love. <laughs> Well, that's it. You like them, right? They're both attractive. So why would they get together? Um, they arrive in Washington, D.C. at what was going to become the Threshold Command Center and uh, meet J.T. Baylock, played by Charles S. Dutton. Mm-hmm. Good good casting in the show. The, the casting's great. I mean, the casting is a little bit 2000. You could really, it's a lot of actors you see at this time period. But J.T. Baylock's one of those actors you bring in when you need a little bit of gr- uh, gravitas to... Uh, a not very good role or a show it's just like he's gonna add something and and he and he definitely does that in this show as well Uh, he's the deputy national security advisor and he'll basically be the like head of the threshold operation for the rest of the series yeah they they go off to a war room reminiscent of dr strange love where they tell uh dr caffrey about satellites picking up a heat bloom image of a ufo entering the atmosphere that they've tracked into the north atlantic ocean and They've lost track with this ship out there, so it, it they they have to put her plan into effect. And uh, did you catch the first two stages of the threshold plan? The first stage is quarantine. Stage two is insertion of the red team. Got to insert that red team. <laughs> you got to. That's why I wrote it down. I was like, "What is the red team? It's the red team. They uh, the red team's there to confirm extraterrestrials, attempt communication, and then determine intent. <laughs> they got to do a lot." That's part two, A, B, and C. <laughs> um, when I was like a kid, I read a lot of like 
you know, 10 to 12. I read a lot of Michael Crichton books. Yeah, I think that's been established. And this show is very much in the vein of like an Andromeda strain or a sphere. You've got a person who completed a plan for the government for an event that was unlikely to happen. That event is happening. That person's being picked up often in a helicopter in that show, in, in his books, and then brought in. And the team they've written about in their paper has to be assembled. And I was just like, it's so crazy that I've just, this feels to me, and I'm sure it's been used by other authors and other entertainment, but so much of this first 15 minutes to me feels like the beginning of a Michael Crichton novel. It definitely has that uh, a feeling of you've seen this before, perhaps in a good way, perhaps in not. So uh, let's meet the red team. First up, we have Dr. Nigel Fenway, played by... Brent Spiner. Data himself is on the show. Yeah, I don't know so far if this is the greatest role. The character, uh, spoiler alert for the next two episodes, will have to just be able to answer every question that comes at him with, I don't know. That's basically all he can do all the time is just respond that he doesn't know anything. But he's described as an individualistic NASA-employed microbiologist. Oh, good, good write-up. I won't lie. One of my favorite parts of this show is that everyone constantly turns to him and asks him questions about aliens that he met like 10 minutes ago. And unlike other shows where they'd like start making up theories, uh, like Brent Spiner just turns to him and says, I don't know. Why would I know? Yeah. I give the credit shows some credit to the show for that because I thought it was very funny. In another show, people would like come up with some weird explanation. And you just got a character being like, how would I know? What do I know that you don't know? Yeah, it is funny because they do keep asking, but it's like, he just showed up. And not only that, the government's keeping everything very close to their chest. So it's just like, he only knows what you know. He's been in the same meetings. Yeah, he's very snarky and bitter, doesn't trust the government. And Jordan, how many ex-wives does he have? Two or three. Three. He just loves those ex-wives. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he makes a joke that he has to keep working because he's got to pay all the alimony. It's true. I Did you like at one point in, the, in one of these episodes, uh, he's just like, they're working at some point and he like looks around and he's just like, are we getting paid for this? Yeah. Is anyone paying us for this work? I really enjoyed his character that is just like, he's pointing out the questions that I have as well. And is it now, do we get all of the characters in of the team? Yeah, because we, we meet Lucas Pegg. So that's played by uh, Rob Benedict. And I'll tell you how he's described. He's a somewhat unsure of himself aerospace engineer on the eve of his marriage. Yes, they keep bringing up a marriage and a wife or a fiance who we never get to see. Yeah, I assume this could be something for a later episode. Okay, I'm going to call it now, knowing nothing about the show. We're going to see the the wife, and and she's going to either be an alien, or she's going to be have been like uh, uh, possessed by an alien of some sort. That's my guess for later in the series. The way they're teasing it, absolutely. I believe it 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He kind of designs theoretical spaceships and like helped design a, a Jupiter probe. So they've kind of have him here to like help look at that kind of thing. He's a real paranoid type. Mm-hmm. He's also the all-time high Jeopardy winner. <laughs> sure. Did you like how they just dropped that? He's like, oh, and he's Ken Jennings as well. It's instead of building a character, you just throw weird facts out there. And there's also a weird scene where he's reading the Bible on his Blackberry. Oh, really? I didn't quite understand. Like, I think they were trying to... I don't like they try to establish so much characterization in like such a short time that I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do with that information? It is funny because it, it does seem like in the span of a couple seconds, you get like six characters, their names, what they do, and they have to do like one quirky thing so you can tell them apart from everyone else. And it's like and they're like, we're off to the races. And it's like, OK, great. Sure. 
it's not the most organic way to introduce uh, characters, that's for sure. No, I mean, and they and they come at you in montages too. It's very much just like a quick montage introducing the character. So even how we're price doing it right now is just like not too far off from how the show does it. Right. And our final red team member, who I'm impressed we haven't revealed yet, <laughs> Arthur Ramsey, played by Peter Dinklage. It's a character I feel bad actually that he's playing because it feels like uh, he's had a little bit of a. Uh, getting saddled with the same kind of character that you would think he'd play. In this, he's playing a mathematics and linguistics genius with a penchant for unpredictability, alcohol, and women. It is. You know who this? what this character is? This is a sloppily written Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. You're exactly right. That's exactly what this is. He's supposed to be that mathematician who's all snarky and cool and is also great with ladies, but they mostly present him as a pervert? Yeah, it it really, on the line of, like, cool to pervert, he really goes into the pervert camp. I will give this to Peter Dinklage because he's a good actor. He's doing his best to, like, make this character likable and work. But, like, it's one thing to see him hanging out with a bunch of strippers when we first meet him. But at some point, he goes through Dr. Caffrey's panty drawer, and you're just like, well, what is that supposed to be? And by the way, when, when that scene happens, she's the only one that's sort of irritated. She's like, stop it. Put down my underwear. Everyone else is just like, eh, what a scamp. Even she just like laughs it off in a real boys will be boys kind of way. That is like another thing that ages so badly. It doesn't help how badly it's written. But but that is our uh, that's our X-Men team. They're very quickly loaded onto helicopters and, and flown out toward the now burning and cockroach infested mcs bighorn sure i just i i was impressed by how much it was on fire when it went (laughs) (laughs) things have not gone well for this crew um this is the crew we're from the beginning of the episode that the star object has uh been shining on they brought a bunch of commandos with them and the commandos sweep the ship they find five of the crewmen dead and their faces deformed hilariously deformed (laughs) yeah there's a there's actually a line somewhere the guy says, like, the crew changed, and then later on someone's like, oh, yeah, they're they're all kind of weird looking. And I don't know, the way it was written just made me laugh and laugh. But yes, they have, uh, they've had some physical and mental alterations because of what they've experienced with this possible alien thing. I really, the quick shots they showed of their weird, like, twisted faces, I was just like, they're very funny to look at. I really enjoy seeing them. It's a highlight. Yeah, it's a highlight. There are seven crew members missing, and they end up finding a one guy, a man named Gunnison, uh, hiding under a uh, like bed, and he gets out and like shoots a commando with a flare gun. Is this where he comes on the deck and he looks like he almost has like superpowers or something? Oh, that's much later. Yeah. Oh, sorry. this is just when they find him initially, and he like, like Doctor Fenway like gives him a sedative, and they're like, "Well, we'll wait till he wakes up and find out what happened on this ship." Right. Yeah. Right. And they kind of figure it out pretty quickly because. They sort of break off into teams, and Dr. Caffrey, our lead, Kavanaugh, our handsome empty man, and Lucas Pegg all find a uh, camcorder video in one of the rec rooms, at which point they kind of put it on, and one of the crew members has shot the shifting fractal alien object, and uh, Lucas is able to kind of see it and like give some theories as to what it might be. Do you like how, uh, I mean, I kind of enjoyed this. I like how they were sort of talking about it as like a higher dimensional object. Like we're, they're viewing it in 3D space from like a fourth or fifth dimensional plane. I was fine with it, except they just kept going on and on and on. And it was one of my major problems with the show is you get a lot of scenes where characters go into a room 
and they talk about something in this sort of techno babble then they move to another room and then they kind of talk about stuff in techno babble then they move to another room and they do it again and then and it sort of just seems to keep doing that but this is one of the scenes where yes they try to give you a little information of this thing is so crazy and it's four dimensions and a three dimension and and math and blah 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 and i was like who cares (laughs) um but as they watch this video they started getting headaches. There's like a loud sound that their noses all start to bleed. Yeah. There's some sort of signal coming from the video recording. And uh, the only the only way to turn off the TV is uh, Kavanaugh has to shoot it. My note was like, just turn it off. Just turn it off. He like his he's so uh, like a uh, trigger happy that he just shoots the TV. It's like you're you're a nut. So I don't want that guy on my team. I really did like that, too. I was like, whoa, overreaction. <laughs> yeah. But after they kind of have viewed this videotape. Uh, Dr. Caffrey turns to them and he's like, and she says, congratulations, we did stage one of Threshold. We confirmed extraterrestrial intelligence. And I was like, did you? Did they prove any sort of intelligence? I know. It, it was funny. She's like, it's like, we've done it. It's like, I, I don't I don't know if you have. You've talked a lot about it. And you guys talked about math, but I, I don't think you ever actually did anything. It was one of those parts where the writing, I was just like, I mean, it's just like, it could just be a weird thing they saw. Like, I, I don't know if you've improved intelligence yet, you guys. <laughs> right. But, you know, they're trying to keep the show going. Gunnison, the crew member who they found earlier, he kind of wakes up from his uh, stupor and kind of explains to the audience and the team, the red team, what happened on the ship after we saw the cold open. And essentially, everyone who saw the object passed out. And when they came to, they started getting sick and having uh, weird dreams. Uh, as the captain of the ship said, uh, he was in a forest but the the trees they're made of glass yeah uh, now we we will see this later on i'm assuming a similar version of what he saw would you have described that as a forest except the trees are made out of, of glass i didn't think that's anything what it looked like it looked like the fortress of solitude oh well there you go that's a that's a good he hadn't seen superman <laughs> yeah he's he's not a superman fan so he just didn't know what it looked like but i'm like that's what it looks like or like a uh world made out of crystal or an iceberg of some. It doesn't look like trees at all. That guy's terrible. <laughs> you you reject this de- this this description. Yes, I'd be like, sorry, you don't know what you're doing. Go away, deform man. Uh, Gunnison starts telling them about how kind of after this all happened, the crew started going a little bit crazy. They started either killing themselves or trying to kill each other. I mean, at some point, the captain attacked Gunnison with an axe, so Gunnison beat him to death with a comically large ratchet or like a wrench. <laughs> It was comically large, wasn't it? But he kind of, yeah, lays out kind of how terrible it was on the ship. Uh, to the point where they're actually cleaning up one of the bodies. Like, one of the crewmen hang, hung himself. And when they get him down off the rafters, the, the body, like, does the worm on the ground. It just, like, starts flipping around like the worm. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, what we've learned is that they all watched this weird phenomenon. They all started acting weird, got weird dreams, and they got really violent and started killing each other. That's basically what we've learned. Yeah, and sort of Ramsey and the rest of the team have looked around. Ramsey sort of pieces together the the spiral symbol we saw earlier is on the TVs. He uses, uh, he says it's a fractal, it's fractal geometry common in chaos theory mathematics. And he believes it's some sort of communication via math. And he's able to translate that into an image of a DNA helix, but the helix as opposed to human DNA, DNA, which only has two strands. It's a triple-stranded DNA, Jordan. Yep. 
I'm sure it is. Of course. Honestly, I, my, my mind glazed over so much over these scenes because they just, they just won't stop talking. They just talk and talk and talk. And I was like, just someone do something. Someone shoot a TV again. <laughs> Essentially, they kind of like do a bit of a breakdown of what they've discovered. You're right. Like they kind of do go room to room talking about their discoveries. And uh seems like everything they've encountered has had some radical cellular change like like a cancer they describe it as like a cancer with a purpose something has hacked their dna this is the other term they use to uh uh bioforming mm-hmm. you know like terraforming basically their theory is that they think this is an extraterrestrial life form and what it's doing is through uh whatever means they don't know what it is but through either looking at it or hearing it or touching it it's bioforming people as a way to colonize earth by making aliens that's what they, they're theorizing anyways right yeah basically it's, it's kind of like don't invade a place and then terraform it to suit your needs just go down there and just turn everything that's there into you save yourself the trouble of the of the journey which i will say is a pretty interesting idea i just didn't like the way they explained it i just thought they couldn't have picked a more boring way of explaining that than literally having people sitting in a room talking about it <laughs> Um, but basically their time on the ship comes to end very quickly here because there's a call to evacuate because the North Koreans are coming I know my note was the North Koreans man do I miss the Russians <laughs> I mean it was a real like bad guy du jour it's just like uh, who, is the, who are the enemies right now <laughs> yeah so but yeah so they, they, they add these stakes of they have to do things fast on a show that's moving at a glacial pace uh, that the North Koreans are coming so they better they better pick up the pace yeah, they start evacuating the ship. This is where what you were referring to earlier, Gunnison escapes from his like uh, medical bay and he starts hulking out and beats the shit out of Kavanaugh. He gets on the top of the deck and uh, they, they after like they get to fight, he gets on the top and uh, Dr. Caffrey, that's her name, right? Yep. Uh, she's got a gun. He sort of approaches her. She shoots him a bunch of times. Um, he doesn't die. It looks like he doesn't really hurt him. And then he just casually kind of jumps off the boat into the water oh where's gunnison going yeah we're never gonna see him again that's for that's for sure no no one could survive that how could you survive getting shot and then going into the middle of the ocean could anyone survive that never triple helix baby (laughs) that's you know what this would be a better show if before he jumped into the water he looked at her and said triple helix baby and then winked and then jumped into the water <laughs> but yeah, they lose him and they all climb on their helicopters fly away. They blow up the ship so the North Koreans can't learn anything about anything. Yeah. There's a real underline of that like classic like America police idea. They're just like only we can know about aliens. We can't trust any of you to know about it. Yeah, and they, and they really blow up the ship, huh? It's pulverized, obliterated. <laughs> So they head back to Threshold Command to start phase two of Threshold, which is uh, containment and crisis management. Yeah, there, there's a line in the scene that's my favorite line of the episode, Luke. And and uh, I don't know who ca- says it, but one character says to the other character when they're talking about this containment and what they're going to do. And they say, we have to stare into the face of the unknown and make damn sure we don't blink. <laughs> Isn't that such a terrible, stupid line? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. You know, Jordan, you're right on the money when they go from room to room talking because they have a conversation here about how they don't think the fractal object they saw has left the Earth. They haven't seen it leave on satellites. There's been no, like, exit trail. So it's just hiding somewhere on Earth, but they don't know where. 
wouldn't it be great though if they had it they had a scene though and then they show that star thing and it's wearing like a trench coat and a hat and it's checked into like a cd motel or something oh that'd be pretty good well i mean i like they say it's technology is so advanced it borders on supernatural (laughs) this this the show is so many lines like this they they say things at first you're like okay then you go wait a minute that doesn't work at all that doesn't make any sense it is a line where i was just like oh are you guys just not going to explain anything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah they're just gonna they're just gonna go hey guys it's a mathematical three-dimensional just shut but up what we do kind of learn is uh dr caffrey cabot and lucas Pegg, who all watch that video on the ship mm-hmm. they've all developed their own problem well their uh dna hasn't changed sound of the signal has caused them to have unusual theta wave activity in their brain so are <laughs> they infected and that's one of the many scenes where they go to uh uh, uh brent spiner's character and they're like well what does that mean he's like i don't know i don't know I'm just telling you what yeah, what's going on. Yeah. He's just like, it just looks weird. That's what I'm telling you. But now that they're kind of back on in Washington, D.C., I guess, they can kind of go home. Like, their their adventure's over. They can go home and come back in the morning to figure out the rest of it. And uh, Dr. Caffrey heads home to, you know, get some shut-eye and eat some prepackaged meals. Yeah. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, does she live in Washington, D.C.? Why did they send a helicopter to get her? <laughs> it just looks important and it's like the i guess it's like the fastest way to get it done but yes maybe she's in the in the suburban area of uh of washington dc maybe she's in virginia that's where she works and i think virginia and dc are very close to each other so i don't know maybe it makes sense <laughs> maybe anyway she heads home to get some sleep she uh has her own dream about the glassed forest slash the fortress of solitude yeah which I think is better. That's, that's what it looks like. What I did like is uh, we do get a, a kind of a tease, like we, through the refracted images of the like glass in the thing, you almost get a look at the alien. How would you describe the alien when you saw it? It was really dark, right? Yeah. I thought it maybe looked a little bit like a, a Cthulhu or something, like a squid face. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought it had like one long sort of like nose mouth thing, but maybe I just saw it saw it i didn't i didn't i should have rewound and watched it again i mean the the purpose is there to kind of keep you from like getting a full glance of it but i was just like i hope it's a little cthulhu alien i'd be that'd be (laughs) all right yeah oh i'm telling you this show is desperate bring the aliens on no more talk about mathematics bring the aliens she's she's woken up for her from her dream by a phone call from kavanaugh he he himself has also had this dream about the glass forest isn't it a little presumptuous though that he would just call her and just just decide that she's also had the same dream. I guess they're just like we we both had that theta waves. I got we got to keep in contact. And also, you want to go on a date later? I'm very handsome. That's what it sounds more like to me. He's finding an excuse. He's like, "You up? <laughs> Pretty good. You up? Yeah, maybe." Uh, yeah. But she, you know, she does what you do. She gets up. She goes to get a glass of water from her refrigerator, and uh, you get that like classic horror movie shot where you're like. When she closes that refrigerator, something is going to be behind it. Just just get to it already. Yeah, she closes the door and it's, uh, what's his name, Gunnison? Old Gunnison standing behind the door. Swam all the way up from the ocean to get there. And that's how we end. We end on this cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger. Yeah. All right, yeah, let's, do, let's get right into uh, episode two. Here's the IMDb summary for it. Trees made of glass, part two. Reality scaring you a little? A little more than a little. Look. I remember something that someone once said. Focus on the task, not the fear of the task. (laughs) I can't believe you remember that. 
You wrote a hell of a thesis. It was the only A I gave out that year. Maybe the author should keep her own words in mind. The team plans to capture the missing sailors with an audio segment from a video of the alien encounter, which attracts rats found on the Bighorn. Uh, that is also truncated a summary from our friend uh, David Foss. Ah, David. You know what's funny? When I started watching this episode, it was a couple days since I watched the, the previous. I started watching it, and I had no memory of what the other episode had ended on, so I was like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? He's chasing her? And I had to go back and rewatch the other one because it made such a little impact on me that I didn't even remember how it ended. <laughs> you, you couldn't even remember the exciting cliffhanger. No, it wasn't exciting. So I was just like, well, what happened? Who are these people? Where am I? Math? I do like, as it gets going again, uh, like obviously Gunnison's men- uh, like menacing her. And in the space of like, I would say 15 seconds, she manages to smash him with a glass bottle and push him through a glass door. And I was like, man, a lot of glass breaking right away. There is a lot of glass breaking in this episode because they get into a now a fight. He starts like grabbing her and and, uh, and choking her. She's trying to get away. He starts saying something in a really weird, it doesn't sound like it's English. She's able to grab what I think is some sort of like cooking spray or something like that or a deodorant. They're it's in the a, bathroom. So I think it's like toilet cleaner. So it's, it's, it's some sort of spray can anyways. Sprays in his face. He reacts like everyone does as if it's the worst poison in the world. She's able to jump out a window. But she also has that cool line. What did she say? Your face looks like a toilet. And then she sprays the cleaning solution. <laughs> that was her line. I tell you, I would love it if this show had four things like that in it. That was my best zinger. No, no, it's pretty good. Um, I'll try to think of something else. Like, I'll flush your intentions down the toilet. <laughs> Not good. Not but good. you're right, like... They get in that tussle. He, she's getting choked out. Sprays him. She gets out the window and escapes. And like, she, uh, it's a little silly, but I also really liked it. She has like a cellar door out behind her, like a storm. Like you'd see a storm shelter, or a cellar on a, a cellar door on the farm on the outside. So she, she opens both the doors really wide open, and she kind of runs off to hide. And of course, Gunnison runs out, and he's just like looking down the cellar. He's like, "Did she go down into the cellar?" And while he's looking down there, she just steps out with a huge shovel and just smashes him in the face. Yeah, it was a real uh, Tom and Jerry moment for the show. It had a great sound effect of just like, clong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, but but what I like about this, so she hits him. He goes down uh, the stairs into the, the, storm, uh, the storm room. And immediately, without a beat missing, all these, uh, I guess they're like FBI agents. They all show up and she's like, uh, where were you guys? They're like, oh yeah, by the way, we had you under surveillance the whole time. And I was like, guys, this is when you decided to come? She's been choked for the last five minutes. I know. I was also the same thing. I'm like, wow, you guys, you come to find out they've had our whole house bugged. I'm like, it took you guys way too long. Way too long. But they go down into the room. I like that. They go down there and they search for, I would say, conservative estimate, maybe three seconds. And they go, he's definitely not down here. And then she's like, are, are you kidding me? She goes down. He's not there. The guy has disappeared. He somehow has the ability to disappear. Much like a shifting alien sphere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway after her attack uh, the whole red team comes to her house to investigate they kind of you know it's just a general investigation there's some blood on the floor in a spiral pattern big reveal it's her blood so what does that mean yeah we're not gonna tell you this episode there's like a weird scene where lucas lies to jt about he's like i didn't have that crystal forest dream but you're like well you clearly are lying and i and at the end of the episode, he's just like, I lied. I did have the dream. And we're like, okay. 
I know it was it was weird because it didn't set up anything. It's not like it was important to the episode that to win the day he had to admit it. It was just like I didn't have the dream, and they're like, okay. And then later in the episode, it's like, hey guys, I did have the dream. And they go, okay. It's just like, wh- what was the point of any of that? I know it was a little weird. It was just like, why? What are we setting up here? I don't know. It's just another scene. I actually think the scene was mostly there because we kind of follow JT, the kind of like guy who's running the threshold command center through the house and he's handing coffees out to the entire team. And then when he gets the Ramsey, Ramsey's like, where's my coffee? And he's like, I didn't get you one. I'm like, why does JT hate Ramsey? <laughs> well, they're, they're adding these relationships. It's just such a deep show. I think he has something against little people. I'm assuming based on what we've seen of him, he's probably smelled someone's underwear at some point that has made him, uh, uh not 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 to uh look too favorably upon him oh that's what that's just it what i liked is uh um brent spiner's character uh dr nigel fenway he's he goes into the um into the storm storm cellar and finds a footprint and starts like doing tests on that and i was like is that what he does is that what his he's the microbiologist that's what he does on the team he takes like samples off footprints yeah he looks at dirt i also like he run he like takes a sample of dirt he's like later they run a test and it's like well, it's real special dirt. Could only have come from a water treatment plant. And I'm like, what? I know. It's, it's just one of those super lazy things. They're like, no, they're like, it comes from a water treatment plant. And they're like, and there's only three of them. Oh, okay. And they're like, well, I guess we'll have to go look at them. And they go pick the one that they need to go to. It's just one of those like, well, that was a real fast way. It's The show has a weird quality to the scenes that they decide should be short and long when there's like, a decision or something to be made they do it as fast as possible but if they have to explain something they'll be like you know what this needs i don't know six ten minutes of just scenes of characters walk around explaining mathematics they do like to give a couple examples of what they're talking about every time <laughs> yeah exactly they also have the uh illegal recordings from inside her home the surveillance team had so they recorded what gunnison was saying in his weird voice inside it was an excellent recording, isn't it? Oh, very good recording. As if the mic was right under their mouths. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But Ramsey, of course, as a linguist expert, in addition to his mathematics expertness, he's just like, well, you know what this is? It's just somebody talking backwards. I was pretty sure when they, when they said that he was also a linguist expert, that at one point, those were two characters. They just jammed together. They're like, guys, we don't need seven people on the team. Just make the mathematician the linguist one guy. I mean, he's a real cunning linguist. Oh, is that a dirty joke? I don't really get it. <laughs> it is. It's a dirty joke. I thought of it. and I was just like, is this the joke? Is this a joke they're making? And then I was just like, wait, I don't know if I get the joke. I <laughs> let me tell you something. There's a joke I told uh, uh, a friend of mine who's who's been a guest on this show. I won't say who it is, but uh, I told him a joke one time. And the, and the joke was this. What's the opposite of Christopher Walken? What's that? Christopher Reeve. Now. Oh, it's not a good joke. It's it's a pretty tasteless joke. But it's it was what we were saying bad jokes. He then, then took that joke and went and told someone it. And when the person said, like, that's a terrible joke, he was like, oh, why? Because he never actually got the joke. I told him the joke. He laughed about it, but he didn't even know. He didn't get it. And then he just retold <laughs> the joke. Anyways. <laughs> that is that is like something nine-year-old me would do. They would <laughs> right, adult right. say something. And get a good reaction, and then I'd just be like, okay, that's a joke, I guess. And I would just wander <laughs> yeah. off and say the same thing and hope for the same reaction. I do think I wrecked the joke. I think it's supposed to be what's the opposite of Christopher Reeve, Christopher Walken, I think. But either way, you get that you get that it's a tasteless joke. It worked either way. I got yeah. it was tasteless to both both times. <laughs> oh man. But as you mentioned, 
they they pinpoint the one water facility they could possibly this mud could have possibly have come from and uh dr caffrey kavanaugh and ramsey which is i think what we're gonna see is just like they just take a random assortment of characters split them into two groups and then one stays at home and one goes into the field who's gonna go i don't know we'll shake it we'll we'll roll the dice and see (laughs) Well, I'm assuming they're going to pair them up in different ways over episodes so that we get to learn these really interest, interesting things about these cardboard characters. But yeah, they, they head to this water treatment facility. There's a security guard there who starts showing them around. This is this is where your nickname came up, where I was just like, I cannot believe they did that. Yeah. And what what was it again, Luke? I, I would never dare repeat it. It's uh, Ricky Retardo. So it's just... I just feel it's crazy to me. It's just crazy to me. It's not even that good a joke. What's the funnier that uh, that they're using uh, clearly this disparaging term <laughs> is that the joke is Ricky Ricardo. Is he in the cultural zeitgeist in 2005? Ricky Ricardo? I'm assuming he died this, in about 1985. And it was another line for Peter Dinklage to have to say. He's doing the best he can with the material. All the actors in this are actually like much better than the material, but it's just like, you're just watching him like, poor Peter Dinklage. Why does he have to do this? So, so far he's had to just run away from action to go to a bar. He's been uh, stealing panties and he's called someone Ricky Ritardo. That's what we know about him so far. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, but while they're investigating this wire treatment plant, they, they find a locker dripping with blood. When they open it, Oh, it turns out that security guard has been throwing them around. Why, he's one of the sailors from the ship. The next scene when they're they're looking and they find out that it, they're like, oh, yeah, it was a security. The one guy's like, Ugh, shaved his beard. My Literally, the, the second they were like, oh, the security guard was really a sailor. I'm like, did you not look at a photo of the seven missing sailors? Like, this shouldn't have been a surprise. Yeah, well, it was because he shaved his beard. So bizarre. I also like when the sailor goes to run, he grabs one of the, there's just like some random agent there and he grabs the guy's gun and like shoots him like eight times in the chest. And then like two scenes later, they're like, oh, he's fine. It was like a a studio note of like, by the way, we can't kill anybody. They're like, oh, okay, well, that guy's, that guy's fine. Like he looked like he was brutally murdered. (laughs) But there's this little side quest here for Peter Dinklage's character, Ramsey, where after this happens, he just disappears. He runs away to a nearby bar yeah. and Kavanaugh has to go get him back. And, and it's just weird. Like Ramsey's just like, I don't want to do it. It's too scary. And then Kavanaugh's like, okay, we'll get your professional rival to take your place. And he's like, what? Professional jealousy? No, I will stay on the team. Your retelling was much more exciting than the actual scene was. It was a weird scene. Cause it went like, it was like, I guess to show that he has cold feet, but like we never for one second believe this main character you just introduced is actually going to leave the show. Like it just was like five minutes of wasted time. I did find the actual um, line about the beard. Kavanaugh says, the son of a bitch shaved. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way to recognize the person if they have a beard or no beard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's jump back to the threshold command center where Dr. Fenway has been uh, button heads with old JT, his boss, because he, he doesn't he doesn't appreciate being held as a prisoner by the government to work on their like secret alien, uh, I don't know, plan. Yeah. And how does JT win him back, though? How does after they have this confrontation where he's just like, I don't like being here. JT's like, well, why don't you give me a list of your favorite things? And then like four scenes later, JT gives him a did you write down what he gave him? Here's the thing, because he sort of like uh, half jokingly goes, you know, it's basically the guy's like, he's like, can I leave? And they're like, no. And he's like, 
well, can I have this? And like, we'll give you anything you want. So he asked for some ridiculous things to kind of prove that they won't do it. Of course, the government does do it. And so the things that he asked for were a tennis ball, baby carrots, number three pencil, a vintage Honer harmonica 42 gold melody with its original case. And he gets all four. Yeah. I was so funny because it's just like, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to show this character doesn't like to be here. And then we're going to show JT kind of cares. But like when he opens it up, Brent Spiner gets the biggest smile on his face. Like, well, I'm I've accepted everything. I'm like, all right. What weird one you wasted. your like genie's wish. <laughs> but then it was like, it hasn't solved anything. You're still not getting paid. Got that sweet harmonica, though. Yeah, well, you, you got snacks now with your baby carrots. Which, are you, how sad are you? I thought for sure we were going to see Brent Spiner playing that stupid harmonica. Never happened. I'm assuming it's in a later episode. We'll, we'll cut to a scene. We'll just hear the harmonica and the camera will slowly pan up to show him his feet on the uh, feet on the desk. And they're like, oh, he's, he's a lovely harmonica player. <laughs> I will say this, though, Jordan. Something kind of cool actually does happen in this sequence here because we get to see a weird mutated cockroach bite the head off of another cockroach yeah it's like a little cgi thing and and i think the whole point of the scene is um if this is is this the scene where we see that they're making a spiral or is this when we just see that oh it's it's uh uh brent spiner showing that everything's sort of like evolving in weird ways because of this appearance of this star alien thing and it's one of his cockroaches in his lab right yeah basically everything that was on the ship like we, we on the ship we saw the cockroaches and they were r- walking around that spiral and there were rats on the ship i guess and they've captured all of them and brought them back to study them and what we're seeing now is like whatever the triple helix is this triple helix cockroach is mutated into this weird like super powered cockroach they're sort of implying that that's what's happening to the people too but you haven't really seen any real physical changes like that you've seen deformities but nothing like someone becoming a super big muscular person i mean i'm hoping there's way more to do with like gross muscular cockroaches because i really like the look of that cockroach i'd love to see a uh, one of the characters bite the head off another character that'd be good too but what they do manage to figure out is that that video they took off the ship with the alien object the only part of it that's dangerous is the audio form yeah so you can look at it but it's the audio that will cause you your theta waves to increase whatever it's doing it's doing it through through auditory means so that's that's the problem so much like our podcast the signal is densely packed (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah so they can isolate they can like and this, I'm sure, will be a thing throughout. Is like they can just pull random frequencies out of it and just try them one by one and see what happens. Yeah. And they they happen to pull one frequency out, and what they notice is the rats who are on the ship are attracted to this frequency. Like any rats that weren't on the ship don't care about the frequency, but rats who have been mutated by the ship want to come and like gather around one particular frequency they've plucked out of the audio stream as a whole. Right. And they kind of come up with a plan from this. Is they're like, how do we track down all these missing sailors who seem to be congregating around this water treatment plant. Why don't we set up a broadcast of that one frequency that attracted the rats and we'll see if we can attract all the sailors to one location and kind of snatch them up. Yeah. It's not a bad plan. I did like though, when they ask at some point, someone's like, isn't it risky just to play the signal out loud? I mean, it affected your theta waves. And uh, Dr. Caffrey says, well, before they tested the atomic bomb, they thought it might set the atmosphere on fire, but they did it anyway because they were at war. That's not a very good argument. I also, I kind of actually know the story she's referring to. And 
there's a nugget of truth to it. Like that was a risk, but they had done all the calculations. So it was like, it was the most infinitesimal amount of risk. They could just couldn't disprove there wasn't a slight tiny risk, but these people have done no research, no, no models. Like they really are playing with fire. Like it's a bad, I was just like, no, you guys are the uh, scientists who are bad. Not the people who built the atomic bomb. Luke, I have to disagree because she is an expert in this. So if she has already thought about all the scenarios, she is the doctor, you are not. So she's already written a, a, a separate document aside from Threshold about what if we play this out loud. Exactly. She, that's, that's what she's doing at night. That's why she's having trouble sleeping. <laughs> um, we kind of uh, jump down to them. They, they've set up snipers all over the water treatment plant. They've got speakers blasting out this signal. And uh, our old our old scientist team, Ramsey and Dr. Fenway and Lucas are all in this like a team style tricked out spy van. Those spy vans are always available in TV shows, huh? You gotta have you gotta have a spy van full of equipment. And uh, they get a call in that one of the one of the speakers isn't working or something's not broadcasting. So Lucas gets out of the van and he goes to check on it. And as he's looking at it, Gunnison pops out of nowhere and grabs him and like whispers in his ear. He's just like, "You're one of us." You're one of us. Which, by the way, did we even mention that's what he said backwards at uh, Dr. Caffrey's house? No, but he was saying like, see you for your Europe. Oh, that was really good. Thank you. People will think we actually edited you backwards or something. <laughs> so there's this thing, and this is a, a, an idea we've had placed in that like the people who saw the tape that, and heard the signal have these theta wave increases are somehow also changing like the sailors. But this all turns out to be just a dream because... After like Gunnison grabs him and like starts shout like telling him in his ear, old Lucas like wakes up with a start and he's just still sitting in the van. Yeah, it was Gunnison was never there. It was a dream the whole time. And then just as abruptly, the window smashes next to him. Gunnison is really there, drags him out of the van. This was a weird thing. Like I, I know why they did it because it was supposed to be that thing of like, can you believe how tense it is? Oh, the relief. It was just a dream, but it's not a dream. But why would he have dreamed that? Like, it just it was such was such a weird thing to do as opposed to like, why don't they just have the guy grab him? I won't be. I'll be honest. I liked it. I liked this. I liked how dumb the double fake out was because the way they've set it up is you're like, he wakes up from a dream and you are expecting this next part to also be a dream. Like you're expecting right. Freddy Krueger to come through and then you'll wake up again. You'll be like, oh, it was the, it was like that double fake out. But for some reason, the second fake out, the more unrealistic one, someone just smashing through the window of a van and dragging you out of nowhere is the one that is actually happening in reality. See, what I liked about this, though, is I don't know if you noticed that the actor had to drag the other actor. And I'm sure they had some sort of apparatus that made it easier for him to drag. But they kept it on a long shot and the actor had to drag the other actor for so long and you just have to keep dragging him and dragging him and dragging him. i was like oh man why did they just make him closer to where the fence was he had to drag him like 50 feet <laughs> yeah it drags him for a bit so the snipers can't get a, cl- uh, a clean shot at him and he kind of just like continues to say you and i are like connected now or something like more of that teasing of like what's the alien signal doing to you and then gunnison sort of runs off and the snipers start taking shots at them and then as he's running he just like vanishes into thin air mm-hmm. and where he reappears is right next to Dr. Caffrey and Kavanaugh inside of the building. So he just disappears and reappears. Is he a Gemini man? I have a feeling this is never going to be explained. It's just a convenient way to show that he's mysterious and he has powers, but I don't think they're ever going to explain that he has this ability. So you don't think he's a Gemini man? 
No, I think this would be a much more fun show if he was a Gemini man. He's just touching his watch, coming invisible, reappearing. It is. I kept watching. I'm just like, this is what Gemini man should have been. If we could just take the best of both shows, you know, just jam them together. What I did kind of like is when he reappears next to uh, Dr. Caffrey and Cavadon's side, he just proceeds to beat the shit out of Cavadon for a second time. That's right. He beats him up. Uh, they're on like a um, like a top scaffolding. He beats up Cavadon, uh, jumps down. Caffrey's down there with a gun. Is this where like another team, they throw a net on him? Yeah. Looney Tune style, a giant net falls from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. And he starts like screaming and a bunch of guys start electrocuting him, but it doesn't work because he's super strong he rips off the net beats all the guys up and now it's just him one-on-one with Caffrey and she shoots him with explosive bullets and he goes down and they've caught him alive no no it doesn't she's looking to shoot him but she can't do it she's staring at him she's stuck in stage fright and then Kavanaugh the hero because he's a man Luke he leans over and shoots the guy and the guy goes down for some reason this time shooting him works. So he, and then he's, he's down, but he's not dead. And then cat and Caffrey like looks at him like, thank you, handsome man. You saved me. Well, I know why the bullets work this time. It's because earlier in the episode, he's just like, I've replaced all our bullets with explosive ordinance. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, sure. I missed that. Anyway, they've caught him again. They, they haven't attracted any other sailors, but they're like, well, mission partly successful. And as they all walk outside of the uh, water treatment plant, debating whether the frequency even did anything, they look around and 106 random people have wandered to the uh, to the toward the frequency, just like people. Yeah, it's basically like they, they're almost like like these lemmings or it's like a magnetic pull that's just bringing everyone in. So you have like hundreds and hundreds of people. Oh, I think they say it's 106 people show up in a five kilometer radius. Yes, yes. And. They'll, uh, they kind of take them briefly into custody and tech their blood. And they find out like none of them have been affected by an alien signal. So it's unclear as to what has attracted this 106 people. But what I did like is they have to keep it quarantined. They have to keep things going. So they've kind of put everyone in those like uh, twist tie handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And justifiably so. Some of the people are like, hey, like, why are you holding me? Like, you can't hold me illegally. And in fact, there's one man, a, uh, a black gentleman who's got his hands handcuffed behind his back and is being led away by Kavanaugh. And he's saying, you can't hold me for no reason. This is against my rights. And Kavanaugh proceeds to brutalize him. It's not good. How are we supposed to be like on this guy's side? Like it's literally a man being like, hey, I don't know why you're holding me. Like this can't be legal. And Kavanaugh grabs him and just smashes his head into the hood of a car. (laughs) Yeah, he's not winning any points. Such a a bizarre way for us to be like, you like this guy, right? (laughs) But that's where we almost come to the end. We have, um, it seems like it's not just uh, these 106 people. We have, they go back to the office, but they're stuck in traffic. And what we end in is, uh, as the camera pulls up. Who's in the car, though? Uh, in the car is, it's Caffrey? Kavanaugh. And Peg. The only people who saw that signal. Right. So that's kind of our, like, hint that something strange is. And they're, yeah, they're caught in traffic. And they're like, oh, weird, a lot of traffic in D.C. tonight. Not usually this much traffic. A lot of weird traffic tonight. And you're like, oh, is there something mysterious about this traffic? Yeah, and the camera pulls up and shows as it comes further and further away, you see that the light pattern from all the streets and the cars that are stuck in traffic are making the same uh, pattern that we've seen over and over in the episode. Yes, uh, from space, the aliens are making their spiral pattern in traffic jams around D.C., Classic alien move. So it's it's a massive scale, man. Those aliens got a lot. They got they're pulling all the strings. 
And that's basically the end of what is, for all intents and purposes, the pilot of this show, because it was a two-part pilot. Obviously, the show has a variety of issues that aren't, like, working and such. And I'm, I'm going to propose one that I think is, I, for me, one of the biggest glaring errors on the show right now is there's no reason for Kavanaugh to be on the show. You really need more of JT Baylock and less of Kavanaugh because he's just like a military guy and there's no real reason there because the rest of them are scientists or uh, mathematicians or whatever, what have you. And it's like, why is he there? It's just like they just need a handsome, tough guy. Yeah, we have enough characters. I mean, arguably too many anyway. He has no characterization. He isn't in a scene unless he's just standing next to Dr. Caffrey. And he, he literally does nothing. I, I like the entire time. I'm just like, what is this character? Just, just you guys, you could just like grab him, edit him out of the show and nobody would notice. Yeah. You're not wrong. All right. Anyway, you want, you want to rate these Jordan? Yeah. So, uh, what are you going to give the, uh, the first part one, the first episode? Um, it's obviously not a great show. I mean, I'm sure it's just going to like, you can, you already can get the feeling like, it's not gelling and i think we're probably seeing the best version of this show and i think as it goes on we're gonna watch it like slowly dissolve around itself and obviously it's slocky and it's silly and it's stupid but like i don't mind to get the team together to solve some big mystery like that's a fun start to a show i wish the characters were a little better rounded out or even just like maybe even less rounded out maybe if they just like kept them more sketchy like left it up to her imagination but Mm -hmm. great cast like I like like the cast is doing double duty to try to make it work, so I- I'm gonna give that part one. I'm gonna give it a seven. I don't think I'm as forgiving as you are. I feel like there was so many long drawn out conversations about nothing, and there just wasn't enough movement forward in the plot. It just was seemed like this really anemic story stretched out as long as it could go. I didn't find any of the characters likable or original. I like the actors. I just think the characters are bad. So it just felt like the actors were saying the lines as fast as they could just to get through the scene. I just think it's kind of like haphazard and kind of generic and and formulaic. So I'm going to give it a five out of 10. (laughs) That's very funny to me. Is it? That's funny. Well, you just, I don't think you gave a five to all of Gemini. Man. (laughs) Gemini man was a way better time than this. This this show entirely. I'm so tired on this lazy TV dependence on these sort of like hard-boiled, tough, world-weary sort of like cynical characters. It's just this lame default for everything to be so like boring and unpleasant. And there's just nothing remotely like fun or human or interesting. It's just blah. Uh, Well, I think we're going to disagree a lot in the show because I actually don't mind the conversations they have i actually kind of like that pseudoscience talk that's always something that like draws me in like i right it's it's always silly but it's always fun and so i think you and i are going to be very opposite ends of this show yeah we're probably will so what are you going to give the second episode um like the second episode was mostly just a continuation of the first one it definitely like was not as like like it became kind of a little episode of the week and the episode wasn't super interesting but it was i mean i'm gonna give it a 6.5 See, weirdly, I'm going to go a little bit up on this one. I feel like things were starting at least to move a little bit. I didn't have to go through the god-awful character introduction, so I'm going to give it a 5.5. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I have a feeling it's slipping from here on out for me. I, I don't know if, like, I think the first, I think the, 
first episode is the introduction of interesting premise, and I just have my doubts they'll ever really grasp what the good idea was again. I think you're right, though. You said it previously. Already from the beginning, you can feel that something is not gelling. They got a good cast. There's kind of an interesting idea. It looks like they have some money behind it. The design is fine, but something's just not working. And what it really is is the writing, you know, and it, it is just, the writing, it just, yeah. it, it's just not quite coming together. So it feels like everyone is doing double duty to try to make it work, but it's, it just doesn't look like it's going to. Yeah, I mean, the one thing they might have going for it is like, maybe if it can go long enough where the writers figured out just to leave the character alone and let the actors characterize them, like some of that stuff might solve itself. The writers think they have to build these characters like so extensively that they're just doing like they're just layering upon layering. Like he's a fiance and he reads the Bible, but he's a paranoid, but he's paranoid about everything. And he's also a scaredy cat. And like that's that's all in that first episode. He's just like layered eight things on the top of a person. I'm just like, I don't know, man, just give him a couple character traits and the actor can fill out the rest. It's fine. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) (laughs) that's right but so that's the first two episodes and we'll be continuing these for let's see how long i think we'll make it through the series i bet you you want to you want to put a bet right now i think we might make it through this series i I don't think we will so let's let's do a bet on that five dollars right now (laughs) all right five dollars let's do it great awesome well listener thank you for joining us if uh you've watched threshold if you have any thoughts on the show feel free to email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com and on social media, we're going to have some uh, clips from the show. Lots of spirals for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that cockroach eating that other cockroach. Yeah, lots of people um, talking in scenes and then going to a different room and having the same conversation, but in darker lighting. You're, you're, you're going to pull out every single conversation. And just put it <laughs> can you imagine? Um, and you can uh, see all that at our... at. Better, what I don't know, social media outlets, whatever they're called. At Continuum yeah. Drag is the handle. It's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but that about wraps it up for the episode. Uh, so, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. Yeah, I can't wait to spend that five bucks. <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delic and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard. <laughs>